Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. I'd love it if you'd turn with me in your Bibles to um, the book of Revelation and to chapter 5. This book of Revelation is, is as far to the right of your Bible as you can get. And, there is, and it's full of incredible and weirdy things, um, uh, which, which help us to get a glimpse and a picture of who God is and the power and, and character of God. And it helps us to get a glimpse of what God is about doing in this world and, wh- and where he's about going and, and, and where he's moving everything, all things. And th- there is coming, uh, if I don't miss my guess, a whole sermon series in the book of Revelation because I've really wanted to go after this stuff. Um, because th- there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that helps us understand and interpret the world in which we live. And there's a whole bunch of stuff in there that help us understand and interpret who we are and what it means to be the people of God. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm, I'm really going to, I'm not allowed to preach for very long on these evenings apparently. But I'm the boss so who knows what's going to happen. Revelation, I came in not wanting to preach and now I really want to preach. Uh, so it could be really dangerous. Uh, Revelation chapter 5. And um, you need to understand this. Revelation is written to a group of people who are suffering. The, the very early church who are, who are struggling massively with what it means to be the people of God in, in an era and in an administration where they were killed for being the people of God. And this revelation of God comes to this group of people. God doesn't give them this kind of, it's going to be okay, don't worry about it. He gives us this revelation of Jesus, which kind of changes everything. This revelation of heaven, which kind of puts everything in perspective. And he says this. This is John. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now you need to understand that, that you don't understand what that is, and neither do I, but, but the ancient uh, people who saw that scroll and heard that scroll, they understood that this was the last will and testament of God. Sealed with seven seals, the perfect seals, written on both sides so that no one could do a sneaky change. This is the, the last will and testament of God. And then I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to, this is a loud voice, (laughs) to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So there's this kind of despair in heaven. Because there's the last will and testament of earth. This is the last will and testament of God. This is what God wants to happen on this earth. And no one can undo it. Because no one's worthy. There's kind of despair in heaven. And then one of the elders says, don't worry. Don't worry. 
Here comes Jesus. He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has all power and all authority. Then I saw a lamb, which must have been quite disappointing if you're expecting to see a lion looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. So there's this weirdy, weirdy creature. He's, he's a lion who's a lamb. And what we're being told is, is, is that Jesus is able to take the scroll and open the seals because he has all authority as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he's taken his authority and he's laid down his life in sacrifice for all of us. He has seven horns and seven eyes. Horns are a symbol of authority in the Bible. Eyes are a symbol of knowledge. So he knows all things and he has power to do all things and he's taken his life and he's given it and therefore he has the authority to open the seals and reveal what's happening on this earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. There is this incredible picture of heaven And right in the heart of that incredible picture of heaven is this strange little verse that talks about prayer. This incredible picture of heaven. I mean, I I, I don't know about you, but, but I have questions about prayer, if I'm being really honest. See, in the storms of life and in the pain of life and in the losses of life and then the disappointments of life and then the unanswered questions and the vagaries of life, I got questions about prayer. I mean, I know I lead a church and I shouldn't have questions about prayer, but I do. How does this prayer thing work? How, how does it work? See, there are times when I have seen incredible miracles when I have prayed, miracles that I could stand and testify to and say, God is so incredible and so awesome that could not have happened unless God showed up and did something. And there are times when heaven just seems silent, when none of it seems to work, when however I articulate my prayer before God and however often I do it, it doesn't seem to work. So I have questions about prayer. And I think in answer to my questions about prayer, God doesn't give me a kind of five-point sermon. Well, it's because of this and it's because of that and this is how you need to do it and this is how you need to understand uh, theologically what's going on. He just wants to give me a picture of the perspective of heaven. There is something bigger going on and I'm so grateful for this passage of Scripture. 
Because what you get is a picture of beauty and worship and power and glory. And right at the heart of it is this enigmatic thing called prayer. And just in case you think where you are right now is just really tough and you're not going to understand prayer and you know you don't understand me, Carl, and, and the Bible doesn't really understand my life and where, I, where I'm at. Understand that if you were a Christian in AD 95, it was about the worst ever time to be a Christian. I mean, this, this wasn't, I have decided to follow Jesus and we do kind of prayer ministry at the front and you're good to go. And, and things might be a bit tricky every now and again because you have to make some moral decisions which you don't feel like making. This was, if you came to know Jesus in AD 95, you were most likely to pay for it with your life. You'd probably be lit up as a torch on the Roman road to the Colosseum, if not thrown to the lions. And certainly you were the underclass of society and you would never get ahead. And it was just an awful time to be a believer. And John himself... The Apostle John, according to Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, was actually placed in a boiling vat of oil and, 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 and the understanding that he would be killed. But somehow, miraculously, he wasn't killed and so he was just exiled to an island called Pamos. It sucked to be a Christian in AD 95. And God doesn't give this there, there kind of answer to them. He doesn't go, you know, it's going to be okay because one day it's going to work out and blah, 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 blah. He gives them a picture of heaven. He says, you need to understand what's going on in the heavens. You've got to get an understanding that, that the Lamb of God is the Lion of Judah and he can open the seals and reveal the last will and testament of God. You've got to understand this thing. You've got to understand that he who walked this earth, he who understands your pain and your sorrow and your heartache is the one that has authority right now in the heavens. And he can open the seals and he can deal with it. You need to understand the one who says there's only one way to the Father. He's the one who has all authority right now. He sees all things and he knows all things. And he understands your stuff. You've got to get it. And then he talks about prayer. He says there's this weird thing. Golden bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints. In other words, in heaven, there is this incense, this smell, this perfume stuff that fills the room with fragrance. It fills the nostrils of God. God, God gets to sniff this stuff up and it fills his heart with joy and they are your prayers. However stilted, however unsure, however selfish, however wrongly motivated, somehow the prayers of the people of God get captured in the throne room of heaven and fill the place with a stink which makes a difference in the heart of God in the midst of life. So I haven't got very long but just a couple of thoughts about these bowls. First thought is this. The proper context for a powerful, effective, and beautiful life of prayer is a life of worship. In fact, there, there is no other proper context for a life of prayer than a life of worship. A life that is caught up with who God is, what God has done, what God is doing. A life that is caught up with his perspective, a life that's caught up with the life that you have in him, with the cross behind you and the life before us and heaven in our eyes and the kingdom stretching out in front of us. Worship 
of Jesus. There is only one that fills my mind and my heart and my soul. He's the one who came. He's the one who set his face towards the cross. He's the one who died in my place. He's the one who rose again from the dead because the grave couldn't hold him. He's the one who sits at the right hand of the Father right now, the place of authority, interceding for me, interceding for me, saying, that's Carl. He's a muppet and he walked in here tonight and he didn't want to praise and he didn't want to worship and he didn't want to preach. But you know what? I love him. My grace is for him. My forgiveness is in his way. A life of worship that says there is no other perspective. There is no other place. Do you know, the only way in which you can bring petition before the Father is if you can open the gates of thanksgiving and walk through the courts of praise. And then into the holy of holies, where you can repent of who you have been and sit before the Father and say, Dad, can you bless me? Can you heal me? Could you save my friend? Could you provide for me according to your riches and glory? It doesn't work outside of that context. It doesn't work outside of the, the intimate relationship that you're supposed to have with him. Otherwise, it just becomes a transactional thing, a to-do list. God, do these good things for me and then I will love you back. No, no, no. That's not what he's asking. His one, number one ambition for you is we. It's you and him. He says, all my riches and glory are available to my kids. The... the, the the only context for a life of prayer is a life of worship. And then whatever you, whatever you ask in that relationship, whatever you ask in that relationship, whatever you ask when you know you're a son of the Father, you know you're one with Jesus Christ, you know you're full of the Holy Spirit, whatever you ask will be given to you. Because you ask in line with the will of God for you. Because you have learned to walk with him. First thought. The proper context for beautiful prayer is a life of worship. Second thought is this. Effective prayer moves heaven and changes earth. In fact, it's the only thing that changes earth. If you, if you thought for one moment that you could change the earth, then you're highly mistaken. He changes things. And the only way in which you get to play in that equation is this thing called prayer. Is this thing called you connecting with what God is doing and cooperating with what he is asking. I don't think we realize how powerful our prayers are. I think if we really got how powerful our prayers were, we would prioritize it more. We'd have more prayer meetings and we wouldn't have just a few people showing up to prayer meetings. I think, I, I, I think if we understood how significant and powerful our prayers are, it could change everything for us. One of the greatest characters of the Old Testament is a guy called Daniel. You can check him out later. He's got a book, all of his own. And uh, in, in Daniel... Uh, we're told at the age, I think he's probably about 13 or 14 years of age, and we're told that when, he, when he, he's, he's in exile, he gets taken out of Jerusalem, he gets taken to Babylon. And in Babylon, he's, um, he's in the court of the, one of the greatest civilizations the world ever knew. He was like the world's superpower. And we're told this incredible thing about him. When he was tested, he knew 10 times more. 
He was 10 times more creative. He was 10 times more intelligent. He was 10 times more productive than any of the wisest men in the greatest kingdom in the world. I mean, if you hang around church long enough, you read that kind of stuff and you go, yeah, 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 that's Daniel. But actually, it's, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? There's almost no response tonight. What's he on? It's just mind-blowing. This guy, 10 times greater, 10 times more, 10 times more creative, 10 times more productive. It's an incredible thing. And the interesting thing is this. The other wise men in the kingdom, what do they do? They don't try and undermine Daniel because they know he's 10 times more creative, he's 10 times more productive. They try and ban prayer. Isn't that interesting? What they try and do is they try and ban prayer. They say, oh, king, you're the one that we should be honoring and worshiping, and, but, but Daniel has this prayer life with this other God thing going on. So why don't we just ban prayer? Why do they do it? Because they know that's the secret weapon. They know that's the thing that's going to change everything. They know if they can stop Daniel praying, they can stop this 10 times thing that's destroying their lives. Prayer is his secret. I don't think we understand how powerful prayer is. I don't think we understand the access we have to the throne room of God. And the interesting thing is when you fast forward to the New Testament, you find a guy called John the Baptist. And Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins, and John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And Jesus says this incredible thing in Matthew chapter 11 about John the Baptist. I'm speaking quickly because I haven't got a lot of time. Jesus says this incredible thing about John the Baptist. He says, John the Baptist was the greatest human being that ever lived bar none. And we would automatically think, wow, that's incredible because Daniel was like cool. Daniel was like 10 times more intelligent, 10 times more creative. And John the Baptist is the, most, the greatest human being that ever lived. Next sentence Jesus says, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And just pause for a moment and get your head around. He says, Daniel was amazing. Remember Daniel, greatest person in the kingdom, the greatest kingdom that existed at the time. John the Baptist is greater than he was, much greater. In fact, he was the greatest human being that ever lived. And the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And the secret is your connection with heaven. The secret is your access to heaven. The secret is prayer. We don't even begin to understand how powerful our prayers are to move the heart of God and to change earth. We don't begin to understand how powerful our prayers are, the prayers of a person who is connected to a heavenly father who loves them. The prayers of a person who is cooperating with the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. Good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, release for the prisoners, the year of the Lord's favor, restorer of walls with dwellings. That's what happens when we begin to understand prayer. Do you know, um, perhaps the most profound moment in the relationship between the disciples and Jesus is when the disciples come to Jesus and get it right for once. Because they were usually getting it wrong. But they come to Jesus 
I'm going to one day meet all these disciples and they're going to have a few words with me, I think. Uh, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Because I'm not sure that would be the thing that if I had an opportunity to meet Jesus, I would ask him. I think I would, might ask him, Lord, teach me to do incredible miracles. That would be cool. Or, or teach me to preach better or, or, or teach me to lead people or... Lord, teach us to pray because they got that that is the connection, that that's the ambition, that that's the beautiful thing, that that's the power, that that's everything. And that's why this house should be called a house of prayer. And that's why we would need to learn how to pray. Because when I, when I put my life alongside this, and I put my life alongside Daniel, and I put my life alongside this revelation of John, I just feel pitiful and weak. And trying to scrabble around and do things in my own strength. The Lord teaches to pray. Because it will change everything if we learn to pray the prayers of heaven. You create a stink in heaven. It moves the heart of God. It changes the earth. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. The band are going to come. I'm sure they know that, but they are. And um, we're going to just gently um, play and watch. And what I'd love to do, we, we're not going to make a big fuss this evening, but if you know that God's speaking to your heart and you would love to learn how to pray. You'd love for there to be a greater connection heaven to earth for you. You'd love there to be more intentionality. You'd you, you, maybe you struggle. Maybe, like me, you've set aside an hour or half an hour to pray and within the first five minutes you've already got a to-do list of things you're supposed to do or you've, you've noticed seven things you haven't done or, or, or you, get, you get beyond the list of things that you want to pray for and then you begin to wonder, how, well, what, is, what is it? How do I pray? And you know what? There are, there are tactics. You can learn how to pray, but in, in essence, it's the heart. It's learning how to worship him. It's learning how to know him. It's learning how to connect with what he wants in this world. It's learning to pray. If your prayer would be, Lord, teach me to pray, then I'd love just to pray for you. And uh, I know this might be embarrassing for some, but I'm not embarrassed. If you would love just to, let's stand up together, shall we? And as the band just plays, and as we just begin to worship, if you would love to know how to pray, if, if your prayer is, Lord, I want to pray, I want to I I I I I connect with those prayers. I want my bowl in heaven to be full of incense because I've learned how to connect with heaven. I want to have powerful prayer life. I want to pray about the right things and I want to see the earth shift because I'm praying in line with what the Father wants. And you're sick of a pitiful prayer life, then I'd just love to pray for you. Just come and stand at the front with me and uh, we'll just ask God if he would come and move things and change things for us. Let's just come right now. You can, you can even come if you're sitting in chairs. Um, just come and we'll, we'll pray for you and we'll ask God to, to move. Just keep coming.
even that step. You know, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. And he loves the vulnerability of hearts to say, I'm, I'm in. I, I don't know quite, but I'm in. I'm just for it. I, I want more of you. Would you teach me to pray? things um, here. I think he wants to give to some of you a heart of worship. You've really struggled to worship him and you've really found it difficult. Maybe it's a British Reserve thing, but there's something about you've struggled to connect with the heart of God and you've struggled to worship. And I think what the Lord is going to do in these moments as I pray for you is going to give you a heart of worship. There's going to be joy that bubbles up, excitement about who you are and who he is and what he does. You're going to become worshippers. You're going to become abandoned in worship. You're not going to be frightened of anybody. The fear of man will be gone, and you'll become worshippers. And out of that life of worship, there's going to come a heart of prayer. That's the first thing that's going to happen. The second thing, I think the Lord wants to give the gift of tongues uh, tonight to some of you. The gift of tongues is one of the many spiritual gifts. Gets a bad rap because... (laughs) because it's kind of a more ecstatic and weird kind of gift, but in essence, it's a prayer language. It's a way for you to communicate with God when you haven't got anything left to say. It's a way for you just to talk with heaven and to, to know the Father. And so I think the Lord just wants to give those gifts tonight, the gift of worship and the gift of tongues. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this microphone down. We're going to start worshiping Jesus. I'm going to just come around and lay hands on you, um, I don't know who else can help me, but I'm sure there's some other people who can help. We're just going to ask God to bless and give you hearts of worship and to give you lives of prayer, and God's going to do that this evening. We believe for that. Let's just worship Jesus then.